Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I've said many times over the years that I consider the most important job in ministry leadership to be the pastor of a local church. Uh, I think it's also the hardest job today in ministry leadership. Pastors are the frontline workers who are really uh, at the crossroads of what's happening and helping people to connect in a relationship with God and then grow by that relationship. Everything else uh, that happens as a result of church ministry uh, really happens at the because of the linchpin work that pastors do right there at the center, piece, uh, center of everything that happens in a church. Now, because of that, it's really important for pastors to understand the scope of their role. And I'd like to help you understand that today by talking with you, if you are a pastor, about your particular role and responsibilities. But if you aren't a pastor, I hope you'll hear this podcast as a means by which you can encourage your pastor or support your pastor, uh, or to help them by sharing this podcast with them and understanding their role in pastoral leadership. I wish I had a marker board that I could draw for you right now that this podcast was a video podcast, but uh, I want you to imagine a triangle, if you will. And I want you to label each uh, side or each leg of that triangle with these three words, lead, teach, and care. Now, when I was being trained in seminary, this simple model was taught to us as a model of pastoral ministry. It's the three things pastors do. We lead, we teach, we care. Now, if I were starting, when I was starting out in ministry, if I were drawing my triangle, it would not be an equilateral triangle with three equal sides. It would have been a little bit out of uh, shape, if you will. When I first started out in pastoral ministry, my lead uh, leg of my triangle and my teach leg of my triangle would have been quite long. But my care part of my triangle would have been pretty small. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, and I've talked about those in other contexts. Uh, basically, uh, I came through my early developmental years with a lot of family challenges and a lot of relational struggles, and I internalized those and then projected those on others. And so I did not uh, come to pastoral leadership with uh, good caregiving skills or even with a good understanding of the role of caregiving in pastoral leadership. Now, I was committed to being a good teacher, and I was committed to being a good leader, and, uh, I, and, and yet I was really truncated in my pastoral role because I didn't understand all three of these legs needed to be operational. Now, as I started developing in leadership, uh, my teaching stayed strong. I got better as a leader just through experience, but it took some really hard and painful uh, circumstances to really teach me the importance of being a caregiver as a pastor and of practicing what is commonly called a pastoral care. Not only did those experiences change me and shape me personally, but I was also in a church uh, that God placed me in, in a really unique, uh, with a really unique opportunity to grow in those pastoral care skills because I was in a really relationally driven church that highly valued uh, that aspect of pastoral ministry. So uh, pastors do three things. We lead, teach, and care. And if you imagine that as a triangle, we want to try to approximate all three of those things being equal and focusing on them all three as a part of our pastoral role. Now, in today's world, 
I hear some things that alarm me about what people think pastors are supposed to do uh, that, really t- that really tilts uh, the scale toward one of these three components. I hear uh, a lot of people today talking about pastors as being teachers or teaching pastors and really separating that role out and saying that the pastor's responsibility is to preach and teach, uh, to preserve the doctrine and to maintain the integrity of the church, and that certainly is true. But that's not the only thing pastors do. But I'm hearing it said today that that's what pastors do and that they really can actually even exclude these other two roles. And then I also hear that no pastors teach, but pastors must also lead. And we put a lot of emphasis on that here at Gateway Seminary. Leadership is a very significant part of our curriculum, and we want pastors and other ministry leaders to learn how to lead. And so the teaching and leading are strong components today. But I, I hear things said in a really negative, with negative connotation about what it means to be a pastoral caregiver or a caregiving pastor. I hear people say things like, well, you know, I don't visit the sick anymore, or I don't go to hospitals, or, you know, I don't, I don't really do funerals and things like that. Well, those are staples of pastoral care. And yet some people today actually disdain those opportunities and think of them as beneath the pastoral office and that they're supposed to be done by someone else in the church. And while they may need to be done by other people in the church, that doesn't mean pastors can't set the pace or provide a model for how this is to be done. So I want to talk today about bringing a balance to this trifold model of pastoral ministry. Pastors lead, pastors teach, but pastors also care. Now, why is pastoral care so significant, and why does it augment and buttress the leading and teaching aspects of a pastor's ministry? Well, let's start with some theological realities. Pastors represent God to people. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, pastor's not God. Pastor doesn't need to act like God. Nobody needs to think the pastor is God. I get all that. Nevertheless, when pastors walk into the room, there is a sense among most people that God is represented in the room. Pastors also remind people of Jesus. We are the incarnational presence of God in their lives. We are, as one pastor said it, uh, God with skin on. We are the way, people pers- the way people have an access point to understand God, to know more about him. Uh, we are, in a sense, a channel, or excuse me, we are, in a sense, a representation of God uh, as Jesus was, certainly not like Jesus, but in that same vein or model. And then third, uh, we're an agent through whom the Spirit is working. So this is a Trinitarian or a trifold approach to understanding the theological foundation of pastoral care. We represent God. Uh, we incarnate God, and, in, and by that means remind people of Jesus, and we are a channel through whom the Spirit is working. Uh, this is uh, sometimes comical to me. Uh, when I work in pastoral context, uh, including when I was serving as a baseball chaplain, when I would walk into conversations where players were speaking to each other in their normal, normal way, which often included a lot of profanity, uh, when they would catch me out of the corner of their eye, they would say, oh, sorry, Sorry, chaplain, or sorry, pastor, I, I didn't mean to say that. Well, what, what was the issue? I mean, they, they talk like this all the time. They use profanity regularly. But when I came into the mix or came into, the, into their presence, they suddenly felt convicted about that, were reminded that was probably not something they wanted to be doing, and they immediately apologized for it. I remember once when I went to visit someone in their home, I knocked on the door, and the person uh, introduced myself, and the person said, oh, yeah, thanks for coming by, and 
this was a person who'd visited our church, and I was trying to reach out to them in return. As I walked into their house, uh, he just casually reached down and picked up a beer can as he was walking by. And as he sat down on his couch, he just slipped that beer can under the table in front of him. So it was like I couldn't see him doing that or something. But it was just interesting to me that I hadn't said one word in any context with him about alcohol, but yet my presence caused him to sort of slip that can <laughs> out of sight. And then what was comical about that even more is after the can went out of sight, then we talked for just a few seconds, and I saw the other hand come up and kind of pick up a magazine off the table, and I kind of glanced down and realized, hmm, that's a pretty strong pornography there. And he slipped that under the table as well. Now, I hadn't mentioned alcohol or pornography. I was just being a pastor, and yet my presence uh, was, a pres- was a convicting presence to him. And I have another pastor friend who has kind of a... <laughs> Uh, kind of a, a snarky streak or an evil streak in him, I suppose. But uh, he was uh, walking down the street one day, and a person coming toward him recognized him and said, Oh, pastor. And my, my pastor friend said, Hi, and called out the guy's name and stri- walked across the street to, uh, or walked you know, up the street to see him. And as he was getting closer, he realized this guy was smoking. And so the guy took the cigarette out of his mouth, saw the pastor coming, wasn't quite sure what to do. So he put the lit cigarette in his pocket. <laughs> So the pastor walks up to him and engages him and, and had saw, he saw what he had done. And so he just engaged him in a conversation and just kept standing there and just kept standing there and just kept standing there while this guy just, uh, had smoke coming out of his pocket. And finally he flipped the cigarette out and like, oh, how did that get there? You know, it was comical. Well, these are funny things that sometimes happen, but really they're more serious uh, than we might like to admit because... When we walk into a person's presence, we are representing God, incarnating Jesus, and we're a channel through whom the Spirit is working, and he brings conviction through us. We don't even have to say anything, and people have a sense that God, in a fresh way, has come into their presence. And then there's one other aspect of this theological uh, uh, reality of pastoral presence, and that is we also symbolize or represent the life of a particular church. Now, I learned this when I was uh, in my first pastorate. Uh, We had a a program in our church, an an organized plan, if you will, to care for the sick. This was a big thing in our church. People wanted that to be done well. And so uh, our deacons took on the responsibility. And they had done this before I arrived, and I inherited this process, and it was a good one. Uh, When anyone uh, was hospitalized, not only uh, was I informed as the pastor, or did we learn this at the church, but also... Uh, we immediately informed the deacon, and the deacon and his wife would make a follow-up visit and take the lead in providing care to the sick person, to their family, and to whatever needed to be done. Well, there was a particular instance happened early on uh, where uh, I, I had some some things going on, and um, I wasn't able to get to the hospital right away, and this was back in the day when people stayed in the hospital two or three days, and so... Uh, the deacons uh, took their took their role, and the deacon assigned did his job, and and then after a couple of days, um, I, uh, I I was able to get to visit the person, but they had already been dismissed from the hospital, and so I made a, a trip to their home, and said, "Hey, I came by to visit with you. I'm sorry I missed you in the hospital." and uh, and before I could explain, she said, well, that bothered me. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. She said, yeah, it really bothered me that no one from the church came to see me. And I thought, wait a second. The deacons took on this responsibility, and they reported back to me that the assigned deacon to this family had made the visit. And so I said to her, well, I'm sorry. I, 
I, I thought Deacon so-and-so came to visit you. And she said, oh, he did, but no one from the church came. Well, what she was meaning was I didn't come. And when I came, that symbolized for her the presence of her church coming to visit her. Now, if I had made the first visit and subsequent visits had been made by the deacons, it would have been well-received. But because I never made the visit, her perception was the church had really let her down. Now, you might react to that and say, well, that's not theologically right, and there's no reason she should have expected that, and you can't make every visit. And, you know, I can say all those same things. But what I've learned over the years is that pastoral presence does powerfully represent the presence of a church. There's so many applications or implications of this. For example, have you ever noticed, especially in smaller churches, how people will say to the pastor, please announce this from the pulpit. They'll want an announcement made about an event or a project or a program or a need, and they want the pastor to announce it. Now, why is that? It's because when the pastor's presence is associated with their activity or event, it gives a validation to it. That's why people are always asking me as president of Gateway Seminary if I can come to their event to give a greeting or say a prayer or otherwise be present. Now, everyone here at the seminary knows I can't be at everything and spend all the time uh, at, at everything, but, but people do know uh, that, uh, that my presence means something about the seminary representing them at an event. And so they ask me to be present, and, and I don't say, or I say yes to as many of these as possible, even if I can only go for a few minutes, because I know that when I walk in the room, the presence of Gateway Seminary in the minds of many has arrived. So uh, there's some theological foundation to this issue of pastoral presence and pastoral care. We represent God, we incarnate Jesus, we're a channel through whom the Spirit is working, and when we arrive as a pastor, we do represent a particular church and that particular church's ministry. Now, I realize that all these things need to be balanced by good teaching and helping people understand that uh, pastors aren't God, they aren't Jesus, they aren't the Spirit, and they aren't the church. I get that. But by ignoring these realities, you're actually missing a tremendous opportunity for pastoral presence in people's lives. You can actually use these things to capitalize on being present with them. Now, those are theological realities. Now let's talk about some practical challenges related to this theme. First of all, being pastorally present takes a lot of time. It just simply takes time to be with people. But really... Isn't that our priority? Aren't people a major priority in ministry? And so time invested with people, being pastorally present with them, isn't time wasted or time diverted from, quote, real ministry. It's time spent doing what is the most important thing we do, which is impacting people. Uh, it's also uh, another practical challenge is it can be draining, especially emotionally draining. Emotional connections generally are. I recently had an opportunity to uh, extend pastoral care to a young man. His father has uh, had a stroke, and I had an opportunity to sit down with him and just ask, how are you, and, and engage him on a level that let him know he could talk to me about what he was feeling. And it didn't take long before those feelings started coming out of him in some pretty emotional ways. And engaging with him and really being present with him and uh, delving into that emotional uh, loss he was feeling, it took a little bit out of me. And I felt myself drained by that experience. Now, uh, 
emotionally draining encounters like this are part of pastoral care. Uh, but I know too many of them in a row can leave you feeling burned out and depressed and down, and you have to do some self-care to make sure that you're spiritually, emotionally rejuvenated and able to keep on with this ministry. But just because something's emotionally draining doesn't mean that it's not effective and an essential part of pastoral ministry. And then another practical challenge is that pastoral care can be very challenging in a larger church. Now, I hear sometimes people say, well, when I get to be in a larger church, I'm going to hire someone to do my pastoral care. I'm going to hire someone to do the visitation and care for the sick and take care of the, the troubled situations, and I'm not going to have to do that anymore. That is so short-sighted, and frankly, if you talk to pastors of very large churches, they'll tell you that's not how they operate. Now, what pastors of large churches do is they limit the scope of people to which they can extend pastoral care, and that's very legitimate. You cannot care for hundreds or even thousands of people by yourself. You have to create a system to get that done that involves training other people and extending yourself through their ministry as well. But pastors of even large churches still extend pastoral care to the people closest to them. So they may extend pastoral care to their staff or their elders or their deacons, the people they're depending on in the leadership circle of the church. Don't think as a young pastor that you're ever going to grow out of needing to provide pastoral care to people. And frankly, don't ever give it up because when you do, you're giving up a great opportunity to strengthen the leading and teaching components of what you do. Which That leads us into talking about what are some leadership benefits from pastoral presence. The first one is that emotional connections with people lead them to deeper trust in your leadership and in your teaching. Many pastors don't realize the thought process people go through when they propose a new idea or teach something new from Scripture. Uh, it sometimes happens rapidly, and it may even happen without a lot of intentional thought, but this is the process that people go through. They hear you propose a new ministry idea, like a building program or a reorganization of the staff or a new missions project or something like that, or they hear you teach a new doctrine from Scripture or a new approach to a doctrine or a new insight that you've gained into a doctrine or something from a passage of scripture that you've never taught before. And when people hear something new like this, they have to first make a decision, do I trust the communicator? Do I trust the communicator? And if they do, then they're more likely to be open to the message you're communicating. And where there's low trust, there's low receptivity to the information or the truth that you're attempting to communicate. But where there is high trust, there is much greater receptivity to what you're communicating. How is trust developed? Well, several ways, but one primary way is that trust is developed through emotional connections established through pastoral care. Put most simply and very practically, it works like this. You sit down with a couple and you counsel them through a very difficult time in their marriage. You help another couple with a parenting problem. You have another person in your church who's struggling with addiction and you get them the help they need. You visit a sick person who's really debilitated by a struggle that they're having they just can't seem to get past. You help a person through a relational conflict they're having at work. 
You extend yourself in pastoral care in these kind of situations. You invest in people. Uh, you help them through a rough spot. You share their pain. They trust you with their deepest secrets. That process is going on through the week. And then it comes to Sunday, and you stand and you share a new idea about ministry or a new truth from Scripture, and they look at you and they say, this is a person that I've trusted with my deepest secrets. This is a person who, who's helped me in a painful situation. This is a person who stood by me when no one else was willing to do so. This is a person who stepped into my life when it was in chaos or turmoil instead of away from me like everyone else did. That goes through people's minds. Now, it may go through their minds in a nanosecond, but it goes through their minds because they're processing, will I receive this communication of this new challenge, or, excuse me, of this new project or this new truth? Will I receive this communication or will I not? And the higher level of trust they have in you, the greater the receptivity to the communication that you're providing. Pastoral care. Pastoral care opens people up to greater trust in your leadership and in your teaching. And so it really is a part of the foundational aspect of what it means to be effective in pastoral ministry. And then uh, these, it, when you extend this kind of pastoral care, uh, it's not just a week-by-week -week process. You're, you're, you're investing leadership deposits into people's lives. You're banking them for the future when you're going to draw down on them in significant ways. That's why a pastor who's been at a church for 5, 10, 15, 20-plus years has such influence. You might say such power or even such control of the church's direction. It's not because he's achieved that by being heavy-handed. It's likely that he's achieved that by providing pastoral care over the years and so that people have come to develop such a high level of trust that there is virtual, uh, that there is almost immediate receptivity to new ideas and new truth as it's communicated. This was one of the things I really misunderstood when I started out in pastoral leadership. I was mentored by a pastor who had been in his church for many years and he made it look so easy. And then I went to be a pastor and, and I tried to lead in the same way I had, I had watched him lead and I was not succeeding. Uh, I was struggling, and I couldn't figure out why. It took me years to discover that this other pastor had 20-plus years of pastoral investment in the people he was leading. I had 20-something days when I started proposing major changes and new directions. No one wanted to follow me in those early days. And I wondered, well, what am I doing wrong? Why is this other pastor so effective and I'm not? I didn't realize it was partly because... He had 20-plus years invested in the lives of the people that were following him, and they had come to trust him in such significant ways, and he had made so many leadership deposits in their lives that they were ready to follow him. And so when he drew down on those deposits, if you want to say it that way, when he drew down on the leadership bank account to accomplish something or to communicate something or to get people to trust him to go forward on some bold initiative, they did so because he had invested so much in them. Now, another real advantage to pastoral care is it keeps the needs of people at the forefront of your thinking, and it changes the way you preach and teach, and it keeps the practical focus that you need in ministry. One of the things that people have said about my preaching over the years is that it's very uh, focused on real issues or real needs. I don't use a lot of Christian jargon. I don't talk a lot about hypotheticals. I tend to illustrate my messages with uh, real life situations, and I tend to try to preach in plain language about what people are really dealing with. I'm able to do that 
because I've invested my life over the years in pastoral care with people, and they've shared with me their deepest secrets and let me into the deepest pain of their lives and let me know about situations that were really, really uh, important to them. And because of that, I've cataloged those in my mind. And when I'm preparing a message and I'm thinking about preaching on a theme, I don't think about preaching it uh, in some ethereal uh, way or some, some, some uh, theoretical way. I think practically, how's this going to be heard by? And I think through the people who've shared with me those very similar situations. Now, of course, when I'm preaching, I don't use their names or even their stories or even their situations so much, but it changes the way I prepare because I'm always keeping in focus the needs of people I've discovered through pastoral care. And when I'm preparing to lead, I do the same thing. I'm always thinking about the pastoral care aspects of what people have said to me and how they've communicated with me and what that means to me. And in doing so, it changes the way that I lead so that I lead with an understanding of how my leadership decisions are going to impact people personally and how their personal lives are going to, be, are going to affect how they're going to respond to the leadership that I'm providing. Well, let's summarize so far. Today I've talked about a model of pastoral leadership. I've said that it's a trifold model. It has a three-sided triangle, if you will. Pastors lead, teach, and care. I started out in ministry not so balanced. I really needed to learn a lot about the pastoral care aspect of what I was assigned to do. I see today uh, a move away from this balanced model by people saying, well, I'm just a teaching pastor, or I'm just a pastor of leadership. I don't really get involved in the pastoral care aspects of the role. And I think that's a sad loss, and it really truncates the ability that pastors have to make a, a powerful impact in the lives of people. Being a pastor is a special role. The theological realities of representing God, incarnating Jesus, being a channel through whom the Spirit is working, and representing the presence of a particular church, those realities give the pastoral office a heft that no other uh, ministry role has. It gives it a weightiness, a significance, and when you uh, deny that, you're undercutting the whole power and possibility of what can be accomplished by that title, pastor, being attached to your name. I know it takes a lot of time and it's emotionally draining. I get that. And I know it's very challenging, especially as churches get larger, to develop systems where you remain engaged with some people in pastoral care and then extend that pastoral care out to others. But listen, I'm imploring you to do it today because these emotional connections that are established through pastoral care lead to greater trust in you as a leader. And when, they, when that trust increases, people will follow your leadership and listen to your teaching in a different way. When than when trust is low. High trust equals greater receptivity. And then as you're doing this over time, you're making leadership deposits into people's bank accounts, uh, emotional, spiritual, and psychological. And when you draw down on that with some major need or some major issue or some major direction you want the church to go, you'll have the resources ready, the relational resources ready, so that people will trust you even in those big moments. And then... Pastoral care keeps you connected to the, lead, to the needs of people, and it'll keep you connected both in your leading and teaching so that as you're engaged with people pastorally in caring for them, it changes the way you lead because you're constantly thinking about how you're going to lead people to do something in the context of all they're dealing with on a personal basis. And then it also impacts the way you teach because it changes your teaching from being a cold lecture type preaching to being something that really engages people at their point of need. It becomes not practical 
but it becomes relevant to where they're living every single day. Man, pastoral care. It is a vital part of a balanced approach to pastoral ministry. Pastoral care means showing up when people die. It means being there at funeral services and wedding ceremonies. It means visiting hospitals. It means uh, presence when children are born or children are adopted. It means showing up for things like high school graduations and, in my case, once even a felony trial that impacted a prominent church member. It means being present in people's lives at events like these and countless others I could list. It means showing up and saying, I'm your pastor. How can I help you? And out of that, building the total ministry of leading and teaching and caring that makes a difference in the lives of people. Being a pastor, and if you're not a pastor, supporting and encouraging a pastor is a vital role today. Pastors are at the crossroads. They're the linchpin. They're the person who's most significant in the kingdom of God, or in leadership of the church, which is charged with expanding the kingdom of God. And so for that role, or for that reason, pastors, it's important you understand your role. And for those of us who support pastors, it's important that we stand alongside them and encourage them to fulfill all that God has called them to be. Hey, thanks for listening today. Take this to heart. Put it into practice as you lead on.